Transmitter device activated. Coordinates set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Earth 2 podcast, where we explore the origins and development of the DC multiverse and the legacy of Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele, and as Peter says, we explore legacy, and legacy is the key word of this week's episode. We're almost on top of the 1964 Justice League and Justice Society team-up, where we meet some new characters who are the crime syndicate of America, and they live on Earth 3. Yes. And they are, in no real order, there is Ultraman, who is basically Superman, isn't he? Yep. There's... Superwoman. Who is based on Wonder Woman. Mm -hmm. There is Power Ring. It's a Green Lantern analogue. There is Johnny Quick. Who is the speedster like the Flash. And finally there is Owlman. Yes, who is the Batman version on Earth 3. Yeah, and most of these characters have... Is, is precedent the right word? There is a precedent a for A bit these, of history. Yeah. History to yeah. the names. So they've, they've been used already. And we're going to use this episode to whet your appetite before the main crossover. We're going to give you the history of, of the character names of the Crime Syndicate of America. Yep, and first of all we're going to kick off with the speedster, Johnny Quick. He's your Flash analogue here. The original Johnny Quick is uh, a character who's a superhero. Johnny Chambers was his name. He discovered uh, a mathematical formula, which is... 3 times 2, open brackets, 9YZ, close brackets, 4A. Which, when said aloud, gives the user super speeds. Whoosh! Here uh, we go, I've just run around the world and I've come back. That's did, you, right. did you miss me? That's very impressive. I'm a big fan of the, the proper DC Johnny Quick. Mm-hmm. He, 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 we're going to be talking about him quite a lot. Much, much further on. Yeah, he's a big player once we reach uh, All-Star Squadron. Um, uh, he's a regular in that, so yes. Yeah, so just to give you his details then. Johnny Quick first appeared in issue 71 of More Fun Comics, which was published in September 1941. And that's just under two years after Jay Garrick, the Golden Age Flash, made his first appearance. And what's significant about Johnny is that he actually he outran Jay Garrick. Mm-hmm. Quite significantly. The last issue of Jay's Flash Comics, Flash Comics 104, went on sale December 1948. And Jay Garrick's Flash made his final appearance in issue 57 of All-Star Comics you know, with, the, with the Justice Society. And that was actually published in December 1950, but significantly with a 1951 cover date. And whenever people talk about the Justice Society finishing, they talk about 1951. And that's mm-hmm. basically because the comic that their last story was published in, The Disappearing Detectives or whichever it was, had a cover date of 1951, but they actually finished in 1950. And Johnny kept going in more fun comics to issue 107. We should probably point out that in the meantime, Green Arrow and Aquaman made their first appearance in issue 73 of more fun comics. So two months, that's two really, really big, well-known DC superheroes. Yeah. Johnny preceded them by two months. You can tell that we're Johnny Quick fans in this podcast. <laughs> we're bigging them up. So Johnny was in more fun all the way up to issue 107 when, and we might have mentioned this when we talked about the Crimson Avenger, when leading comics became a funny animal book and all the superheroes kind of all got shuffled around, the the superheroes from more fun comics moved to adventure comics with with issue 103. And basically, Johnny remained in adventure comics all the way up to issue 207, which was published in December 1954. So that's obviously four years after Jay Garrick disappeared. Mm -hmm. To give you a bit more context... Barry Allen, as The Flash, made his first appearance in issue four of Showcase, which was published in July 1956. So basically a year and a half later. A year and a half later. Yep, wow. I know, and people talk about this massive sort of gap, this gulf between the Golden Age and the Silver Age, but essentially, you know, it was about a year and a half. (laughs) (laughs) And and also, you know, as I say, Johnny wound up in issue 207 of Adventure Comics, but Green Arrow and Aquaman just kept going. They were like Superman, Wonder Woman and Batman. They were pretty much the only DC characters to be published throughout. Yep. So yeah, all, all props to Johnny, really. Yeah, so when you think about it, the Flash, the Golden Age Flash, Jay Garrick, is the most prominent speedster of the, the Golden Age. Mm-hmm. But uh, even although Johnny debuted two years after Jay's debut, he finished four years yeah. after Jay's last appearance. Yeah. So Johnny certainly outlasted him. Yeah, so you know, Johnny was in publication longer than Jay Garrick. Mm-hmm. It's insane to actually think about that. Yeah. You know, it's by right, I almost feel that by rights, Johnny should have been in Flash of Two Worlds <laughs> somehow. You know, We don't ever get a Johnny Quick of Two Worlds. No, we don't. I've missed opportunity. You know, Johnny, he, he will appear eventually. And then, as Peter said, he, he's a major player in All-Star Squadron. So mm. eventually we'll hear quite a lot about him. Yeah. But no, he, he disappears in 54 and he's not seen again until the mid-70s, more or less. Pete's been taking a little look at his last story from issue 207 of Adventure Comics. 
And it's headed up Johnny Quick and his magic formula. And this story is called The Courtship of Tubby Watts. That was uh, Johnny's comedy sidekick. Yeah. That was a big thing uh, yeah, back we've, then. Yeah, we've talked, we've talked about it vaguely before, I think, mm-hmm. about sidekicks and stuff. Uh, basically, it is Tubby getting a bit of a... A romantic interest, so to speak. She's not very nice, and she kind of strings yeah. him along and all that, and Johnny decides to kind of intervene and stop his mate getting the mickey ripped out of him. Yeah, and one thing we hadn't mentioned, actually, is his speed formula just gives him an initial burst of speed. The rest is momentum, but he can channel it into flights, which is something that Jay couldn't do. Yeah. Yeah, so that's something that's uh, different about the character. But yes, it's uh, lots of fun and shenanigans on a boat, and <laughs> Tubby realises he's better off uh, without her... And he takes Tubby out for a meal to cheer him up, yep. this is. And the very final thing that Johnny says before he goes out of publication is, as Johnny Chambers, here you are, Tubby, hamburgers, all you can eat on me. And Tubby says, oh boy, I'll take a dozen. And may they choke me if I ever worry over a dame again. The end. The end, so yeah. yeah well, so, that was the end for them. Yeah, and... For a time. For a time, and they yeah, they both turn up in All Star Squadron, so we'll, we'll see Johnny again before too long. Yes, but as we said, there's more than one hero or one legacy character we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. So we'll move on to the next one. And the next character we're going to talk about is Owlman. We're going to be reading a story from issue 107 of Batman. But before we get there, Pete has some some information on another character. Yeah, there was a Golden Age hero from Dell Comics called the Owl, who first appeared in Cracker Jack Funnies issue 25 in July 1940. He became the cover star as of June 1941 with issue 36. And he ran for quite some time, and then he came back in 1967 for a two-issue Gold Key comics run, and that right. and that was written by Superman co-creator Jerry Siegel. Am I right in thinking there's a Marvel villain called the Owl? As there well? also is a Marvel villain called he's a Daredevil villain. Daredevil villain. Ah, ah yes, interesting. Interesting, as you will find out yeah, soon. Okay, later. very interesting. So anyway, yes. Batman issue 107, which has a cover date of April 1957 and was published the last week of February 1957. There's a couple of stories in this issue of Batman and the one we are doing is called The Grown-Up Boy Wonder and this story is featured on the cover. Quite an exciting cover. It is, yes. Uh-huh. We have sort of truck coming out from under a bridge. Batman's leaping down in the truck and there's a couple of lads driving the truck and one of them sort of looking out and exclaiming, It's Batman! And that fellow who's taken Robin's place, Owl Man, and as well as Batman, there's a character, he looks not a million miles away from Hawkman in some ways. Yeah, it's part Hawkman, part Aquaman actually, with the look of the tunic. Yeah, it looks kind of scaled mm-hmm. and he's got little wings on his boots and he has an, a mask which looks like an owl and sort of red wings. Red, the significant point out is that the tunic's sort of in yellow on the cover. And Owlman is thinking to himself, they don't know I'm really Robin. Gasp. So here we are, yes. Straight so, into the story. What's this? Has the famed crime-fighting team of Batman and Robin actually split up? Has Batman allied himself with a new partner? Is the boy wonder through? Each question has two answers. Yes and no. You'll soon learn how this paradox is possible when you read the astonishing story of The Grown-Up Boy Wonder. And in this opening slash panel, it's a rooftop scene and Batman is having fisticuffs with three gentlemen in red all-in-one costumes. Yes. And swinging in on a line is Owlman. And Owlman says, don't worry, Batman. Owlman will save you. And one of the bad guys says, look, Batman's got a new partner. And another one says, yeah, he's got a man to take Robin's place. Into the story. One night, in the subsurface Batcave, Bruce Wayne and young Dick Grayson, who are actually Batman and Robin, examine a queer object. Yes, and we see Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson, Bruce in a brown suit and Dick in his traditional red jumper and and white shirt collar, and they're looking at a... it's just a box, and it's glowing. And Bruce Wayne says, There it is, Dick. The thing Superman found floating in outer space. It's lead-lined, so... Superman couldn't use his X-ray vision on it. And he left it with us until he got back from his current mission. I wonder what's inside, says Dick. As Dick wrongly touches the outer surface... Hang on a sec, PC. I'm reading from the reprint in Robin, The Boy Wonder, A Celebration of 75 Years, and the caption here only says, As Dick touches the outer surface, there is no wrongly. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Okay. So anyway, yes, as Dick touches the outer surface... Bruce, it's giving off a gas! Look out! Great Scott, you must have touched a secret release, and the gas has knocked you out. 
and in the panel, Dick has opened the box. You know, there's a nice couple of bits of scientific equipment and a filing cabinet to add, to add detail, and there's the gas is sort of coming out of the box. And I, like, I like the little waste paper basket with all the stuff poking out of it. Of course, that's great. Yes. That's lovely. Backflash. Um, yeah. So the, the the gas is sort of emanating and, and dicks down, and we we move on to page two. It is morning before the youngster swims back to consciousness. We can see a bedside table with a lamp and a glass of water, and Dick's lying on his bed, and Bruce is sat next to him. Dick is regaining consciousness, and he says, Oh, feels so funny. Great Scott, Dick. Look at yourself. In the mirror. The mirror reflects a fantastic, unbelievable image. Golly, during the night I've grown. Grown as big as a man. And sure enough, Bruce looks astonished in this panel, as Dick is still wearing the teenage Dick Grayson clothes. Because the, the trousers are demonstrably too short for now. He's looking at a full-length mirror and he's become an adult. And the next panel, Dick says, That strange gas. It causes sudden growth to anyone who breathes it. Golly, Bruce, how long will I stay like this? I I don't know. The effect could be permanent. When Superman returns in a few days, maybe he'll know what to do about this. That night, Brucey's words prove prophetic, as he sees... And we see the bat signal outside of the, the window, presumably Wayne Manor, and Bruce is already getting into his Batman costume, and he declares... The bat signal! And Dick says... I'd better get my Robin garb on, fast! It won't fit! What am I going to do? And we see Dick holding up the now sort of child-sized Robin outfit, <laughs> and looking slightly perturbed, and Batman says... Stay home! Don't you realise if people see a suddenly grown-up Dick Grayson and a grown-up Robin, they'll connect the two identities? And since you're my ward, people will realise Bruce Wayne is Batman. And the next panel, Dick is holding another Batman costume, and he says, I've got an idea. Since I'm a man now, why can't there be two of us? Two Batmen? No, Dick. You may look like a man, but you think like a boy. Act like a boy. You've got a lot of growing to do before you're really a man. But when Batman leaves, Dick reacts like an impulsive youngster. And we see Dick who's gone into another cupboard and he's taken out he's taken out the old man costume that we saw in the cupboard in the splash panel, basically. And Dick thinks to himself, I'll show him I'm a real man. This owl costume Bruce was going to wear to the masquerade ball next week. It's just what I need. Terribly worried that my Dick Grayson voice is all over the place, but that's what happens. No, it's that's what good. happens in puberty. That's it. Voice is cracked. <laughs> yes. There we go. So we move on to page three. As Batman heeds the police alarm, he is unaware that the Batmobile carries a stowaway. And we see the Batmobile speeding along country lane with Owlman hanging off the back, and Batman is receiving a radio message. Calling Batman. Bandits seen atop the Martier Jewelry Building. Investigate. We then cut to the rooftop scene that we saw on a splash panel. Beautifully lit. There's the moon. There's one of those water towers that you always see in the rooftops of buildings and comics. And three guys in red outfits who we, we met in the splash panel on top of a roof. Batman is running towards them. And one of the guys in the red costumes says, We got the diamonds! Huh! Batman! And Batman thinks, The Daredevils again. The three circus acrobats who turned bandits. Yeah, so these chaps in the red, they're called the Daredevils. Yes. And... Daredevils, and they're quite acrobatic looking. Yeah, all in one outfits with cowl. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, and it's mm. about seven years before Marvel first published a character called, called Daredevil, Daredevil, who was all in red and a bit acrobatic. Yeah. And things. You'll, we'll post some pictures of the Daredevils uh, on, yes. on Facebook and on social media, so you'll you can, see. You, you can, can compare and contrast. Draw your own conclusions. So anyway. It's three against one until another Kate figure joins the uneven battle. We're basically at the splash panel now. Batman's getting stuck into the Daredevils and Owlman sweeps in from the side and he says, Okay, Batman, now let's show them how the team of Batman and Owlman can work on crooks. And one of the Daredevils says, Look, Batman's got a new partner. Batman's got a man to take Robin's place. And Batman's thinking, Dick, wearing my masquerade costume. That foolish kid disobeyed my orders. I'd tan his hide if he wasn't so big now. Wow. All of a sudden, he's a very big dick. Is that still in the reprint? Yes. Okay, cool. Word for word, yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Without warning, a bandit slams a glass capsule before the crime fighters. And sure enough, we see a cloud of gas starting to billow up around Owlman and Batman. Owlman says, What? <coughs> Can't see. <coughs> Tear gas, says Batman. 
And we move on to the next pattern. This is a cracker. One of the daredevils is leaping off the building that they're on, and you can see the cloud of gas behind him. All three of them are starting to move, and he's casting a massive sort of shadow down the building as he leaps for a flagpole. It's brilliant. It's really, really nice. And the caption says, While the crime fighters are momentarily blinded, one acro-bandit dives at a jutting steel bar that once held an advertising sign. Oh, right enough, yeah. That's cool. Nice little detail there. Hooking his legs around it, he waits as the second daredevil leaps for his grasping hands. Alley-oop, says one of the daredevils. Then he swings the second daredevil towards a fire escape rung on the next building. The trapezing is repeated by the third bandit. And there's basically a sequence of three panels where we see the bandits leaping off the roof, flipping each other and landing on the fire escape. I mean, it's really nice. It's it quite... really does look like, you know, Marvel's Daredevil, especially mm. that middle panel where we'll post that yeah. picture up. Because there's, there's loads of panels where you see, it happens quite often in Spider-Man, mm. when Spidey's obviously got a lot of thinking to do and they'll show a sequence within a panel of five or six Spidey figures sort of moving yeah. as he has all the thoughts and then the final one comes into full focus and, you know, yeah. it's very, it puts me very much in mind of that. Mm. Um, it's very good. Finally, the first daredevil leaps towards his dangling companion who swings out to meet him. So we see that one of the daredevils is climbing up the fire escape. The middle one is still hanging off, but he's caught the final one. Presumably he's going to flip the final one up. So there we can see them in the background in the foreground of the panel in silhouette and casting a brilliant shadow. This is a really nice page, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, I really must say. And it's, it's Owlman, and Owlman thinks to himself, they'll get away over that rooftop unless I cut them off. Then Batman's eyes clear and widen in horror. Yes, because Owlman has leapt off the building. He's going for a flagpole. Not the same pole that the Daredevil's waiting for. And Owlman cries, I can grab that flagpole, get inside the building through the window, and go upstairs to the roof. Batman, at this distance, I can tell he's very perturbed because he says, No, stop! But the impetuous youngster doesn't realise that a flagpole that can hold a boy won't hold a man. And sure enough, Owlman has reached the flagpole, but it breaks with a sort of very loud crack. Oh, I forgot. I'm too heavy for it now. But alert Batman has already acted and snatches the rash youngster from impending doom. Yep, we see that. Batman has swung down the line and he's grabbed Owlman round the waist. Owlman's still holding on to the pole and Batman says... Still acting like a kid. Still rushing ahead without thinking. And this is probably, we should actually mention at this point maybe that the costume's a different colour in the story to what it is in the cover. On the cover it's a yellow tunic, yellow boots, yellow gloves and sort of mainly red sort of set of wings and mask. Whereas in the story... The tunic and boots and gloves are all green and it's a more sort of brownie, brownie sort bronzy, orangey yeah. sort of colour for the wings and the mask. Mm-hmm. Anyway. And so the Daredevil bandits escape. But the crime fighters cannot escape from the next day's headlines. And we see a news reporter with some newspaper headlines sort of flashing up behind him and the headlines say, say things like, Batman teams up with new partner. It's Batman and Owlman now. And the reporter says, Today, all the world asks... What has happened to Robin? Is the boy wonder finished? And there's a slow dissolve to some dodgy criminal guys all sat in the den. And the captain says, And in the dark haunts of criminals. And one of the criminals says, Things weren't tough enough when we had to worry about Batman and a kid. Yeah, now we got two men to worry about. Robin's absence brings problems, and Dick Grayson's absence brings the truant officer. And it's a slow dissolve, presumably to the outside of Wayne Manor. We can see a car parked. And obviously Bruce Wayne has answered the door and he's done talking to a man who don't really see too clearly, just seen from the back in a black suit wearing a hat. He, uh, must be, he must be the truant officer. Yes, and he says... I'm checking on why Dick was absent from school. Is he sick? In a way, he, he hasn't been himself lately. He'll be back to normal soon, I hope. For the first time, Dick sadly feels the sudden loss of his youth. In the next panel, we see Dick watching some of his mates playing baseball and he thinks to himself... All my school chums are over there, and I'll never be able to pal around with them again. But Dick's new adult physique also gives him overconfidence. And we see Dick admiring himself in the mirror, taps off in his shorts, and he's flexing, and he thinks, What muscles? I'm as big as Batman now. And I'll bet I can be as big a crime buster too. I'll show Batman I'm as good as he is. Then we see Dick thinking to himself, you know, stroking his chin, and he's like, Hmm, if I were Batman, how would I go about tracking down the Daredevils? That night, once again clad as Owlman, the impulsive boy scales a criminal hangout. And we see the Daredevils with a couple of bits of gear on a table in front of them, obviously stuff that they've stolen, and they've taken them to a character who we learn is called Frankie the Fence. And Frankie the Fence is kind of baldy, 
He's a suit and a black waistcoat and he's got a jeweler's eyeglass and he's examining a gem. And I love the fact that one of the daredevils is smoking. Yeah, the, the other two have got like Terry Thomas moustaches. Yes. Yeah. Maybe we should talk like that. Anyway, no. so we see the silhouette of Owlman outside the villain's hideout and he thinks to himself, the daredevils, just as I figured, only Frankie the Fence is big enough to buy and cut up the diamonds they stole. Once again, he acts rashly. Yep, Owlman busts through the window, thinking, I'll show Batman, I'll handle them all by myself. And one of the daredevils cries, Ow, man! But, forgetting how tall he is now, he doesn't duck under a low beam as he charges forward and... Yes, with an uh sound effect, we see that Owlman has battered his head off one of the support beams in the building and a rather delighted daredevil says, What a break! He knocked himself out! This guy is taking Robin's place. If we identify him, we can track down Batman's identity through his. And the daredevil's reaching down to take off... Old man's mask. Gasp. Gasp. The caption says, An eager hand reaches for old man's cowl, and the grown-up boy wonder is unmasked. One of the daredevils says, Huh, I never saw that man's face before. And another one says, I don't recognise it either. Let's take the guy to a hideout. Maybe we can make him talk. That's obviously the Terry Thomas one. I think so. Yes. Do, you, do you think? Do you think? Maybe. Later... Owlman has woken up, Dick Grayson's woken up, and he says, I did it again, and this time Batman isn't around to rescue me. If only he'd gone to Frankie the Fence too, and we see a voice from off camera. But I did, just as they were driving away with you. And Batman climbs in the window, and Dick says, Batman, Gop, you were right. I've still got a lot of growing up to do before I can be a real man. Well... As long as you can admit that, then you're not a kid any longer. Hooray. This is good. They're, they're, they're pals. Right, so anyway. Minutes later, the team of Batman and Owlman renew their attack on Crimedom. Presumably this is still in the same building where they're going to see Frankie the Fence. It must be a warehouse he's in. Yeah, it must be. Because we see like overhead gantries and lights and stuff and piles of crates. And the Daredevils are at one end of the room. And Batman and Owlman are rushing towards them. And Batman says, Come on, partner. Let's show them how a couple of men can fight. And we see one of the daredevils sort of in close-up. He's, he's legging it. And Owlman leaps in from behind him, jumping onto a mattress. And the caption says, As one acro bandit tries to escape, the grown-up boy wonder leaps forward and demonstrates his own acrobatic skill, born of a boyhood in the circus. And there's a really good panel of Owlman jumping and flipping forward on the mattress, which is there. And that's actually... That's what we're seeing about Spider-Man earlier on. Yes, uh-huh. it's a very yeah. similar sort of, you know, the, the afterimage kind yeah, of thing. Mm-hmm. Fluid panel that shows the motion, and then in the next panel, Owlman lands on top of the Daredevil, and he shouts, "Alley-oop!" As for Batman, and as a, the final panel of page seven is Batman casting a massive silhouette over the room as two of the Daredevils run in opposite directions. And Batman thinks to himself, "One breaking to the right, the other to the left. How can I bring them both down with one move?" And we move on to page eight, and the caption says, Hurling himself upon a desk chair, he rides its spinning wheels. And sure enough, Batman is zooming forward on a swivel chair. Sure. He's having, he's having a great time. <laughs> Whee! And he, and he says, I'm almost close enough now. One mighty kick sends the chair careening to the left as the acrobat man propels himself to the right. And this is a great panel in the background. We see one of the daredevils being knocked off his feet by the zooming off his chair. It's cracking and Batman is bringing down the other one by grabbing around the waist and Batman says, Double play completed. Later, upon delivering their prisoners to jail... And we see Owlman and Batman outside the police office and Owlman's looking a bit dizzy. And he says, Ah, suddenly feel weak. Going to pass out. Very carelessly, given that they're on a public street, Batman says, Dick! Obviously rushing forward to catch him. Hours later, Dick Grayson regains consciousness. And we see Dick Grayson, now a child again, still wearing the Owlman costume, sat on a mattress that's lying on the floor in the Batcave, which doesn't look dodgy at all. And there's a nice dizzy spiral effect above Dick, and he says, Batman! My Owlman costume! It's swimming on me! Yes. The effect of that maturing gas must have been only temporary. You're a boy again. Slow dissolve. In prison next morning. And we see the three daredevils in a prison cell and they're all still wearing their daredevil costumes, which is quite funny. Yeah. And one of the daredevils says, 
We'll get even with Batman. We'll expose his identity now that we know what his partner looks like. As another one says. Sure. All we have to do is identify the face of the man we saw under the Owlman mask. And in the final panel, the caption reads, But they're unaware that man exists no longer for... And we see an, an excited and delighted Dick Grayson running to play with his pals. And he cries, Gee, it's good to be a kid again. Hey, fellas, wait for me. The, the end. end. So that's, is that the shortest story we've done so far? That's an eight-page. I don't know. Yeah. I think. Have I not done a six? An eight-page so. giant. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's, yeah, Owl Man. I've just suddenly the thought, you know, mm-hmm. this might be preempting and jumping ahead, but obviously in Honor 3, yes, the Owl Man is the Batman equivalent. Uh-huh. As we'll find out, as we'll find out in the next instalment. I wonder, is he Bruce Wayne or was he a... An aged Dick Grayson. Oh, there's a thought. Interesting. Because we, yeah. we don't actually find out the identity of that version of Owlman. I don't think we ever do. Uh, post-crisis, there's a definite identity for him, but uh, we're not dealing with that. No. We're not going to get to there yet. Yeah. But, mm. yeah, his mm. identity is not revealed. And he doesn't look like Bruce Wayne. No. Really, when you see him unmasked. Yeah. Hmm. Because the Earth, Earth Three Owlman's mask is quite... It's quite open. It doesn't open really face. cover his face. It's quite yeah. like Starman's. Interesting. That was DC's first Owlman, a whole seven or so years before we meet the R3 equivalent, and a whole week before you meet the R3 equivalent listener. So that's Johnny Quick and Owlman we've discussed, and the next member of the Crime Syndicate of America we're going to talk about is Superwoman and her precursor, our precursors, because it's a name that's been used many, many, many times over the years, hasn't it, David? Many times indeed. Superwoman is essentially Wonder Woman yes. in the CSA, but we'll get to that in time. So several stories published prior to the appearance of the, the Crimson of America using the name Superwoman, several after, some of which we'll cover eventually, some of we won't. The very first one that we've been able to find is a story from issue 60 of Action Comics, and it's called Lois Lane Superwoman. Now, Action Comics issue 60, published in March 1943, covered it of May 1943, we're just going to give you a sort of summary of the story. We're not going to read the whole thing because we'd be here all day if we did all the Superwoman stories. And the story of this one basically is Lois Lane gets knocked down and suffers a brain concussion. She gets a blood transfusion from Superman and the transfusion gives Lois Lane sort of powers and she becomes, as you might have guessed, she becomes Superwoman. A criminal scientist named Dr. Skowl captures Superman with a plan to sort of do him in basically. And thankfully, Lois Lane, Super Lois, rescues Superman. But then Lois is a bit of a cop out. She wakes up and it's all been a dream. Yes. (laughs) Which is the worst. Superman was away actually getting a surgeon to go and save her. Yeah. While she was uh, unconscious. But she gets better, obviously. But it's weird. I mean, it's one of those, at this point, there's not really continuity as such. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, if something like that happened, you know, there might be a recurring plot line for a couple of years about Lois having had a brain injury and all that sort of stuff. It's It's a one and done. 1943. Then the next one isn't until. 1959, in issue 8 of Superman's Girlfriend, Lois Lane, because she got her own comic eventually. Published in February 1959 with the cover date of April 1959. A story which is called The Superwoman of Metropolis. Superman gives Lois temporary superpowers for her birthday and she puts on a blonde wig, decides to keep her identity secret and basically a reversal Mm -hmm. of the Clark Kent-Lois Lane dynamic. Clark goes around trying to prove that Lois is a new superwoman, which makes it hard for Lois to do her superpowered stuff. So Lois manages to keep a lid on the secret identity for a few times. Eventually she has to reveal herself in order to make a rescue. The powers have worn out by this point, so Clark secretly makes the rescue using his Superman powers. And he thinks it's funny that Lois pretended to be Superman, which gives Lois an idea of how much of a pest she is uh-huh. to Superman by constantly trying to figure out his secret identity. That's a nice twist. Yeah, and all that thing. Yeah. And probably it lasted for probably the duration of that issue. You know, She just went back to her normal. So the next one is very soon after that, in issue 15 of Lois Lane, which came out in December 1959 with a publication date of February 1960. And this story is called The Super Family of Steel. And it's quite interesting because it's basically about a Lois lookalike called Sylvia DeWitt, who marries a Superman lookalike called Van Z. And he's from from Candor. Mm -hmm. And it's just about the life they have together and how Sylvia DeWitt becomes the equivalent of his superwoman. So it's not really a... It's, again, using the name, but it's not really... It's um, it's quite a nice story, actually. It's quite poignant. Um, the next one is almost immediately. It's an issue 17 of Lois Lane, published in March 1960, covered date April 1960, and it's called Lana Lang Superwoman. In this one, both Lana and Lois get blood transfusions. Superman leaves Earth, has a mission to carry out, and he leaves the ladies behind. Both Lois and Lana, they're hypnotically drawn to an old barn which explodes when they arrive, 
and obviously they would have died if they didn't have the superpowers. Uh-huh. Superman comes back to Earth and explains that Brainiac had planned to destroy Earth unless Superman left Earth and left Lois and Lana to face the explosion. Obviously, with superpowers, the girls survived the blast, but the powers soon wear off, and Brainiac agrees to leave Earth alone since Superman actually met his challenge by going off to Earth and leaving the girls unprotected. But obviously, he didn't put any... Peter's looking very... It doesn't weird. sound very Brainiac, I know, exactly. No, yeah, it's... I mean, that's, it's, um, oh, it's yeah. a weird one, and it's a very disposable nine-page story in the middle of an issue of Lois Lane, so it's, <laughs> it's about, again, Silver Age as it gets. To me, it's a it's baffling because you you always think of Brainiac as being utterly sadistic. I always think of that. Yeah, well, I think it was quite clinical and xenological. And yeah, and not personal. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's just I suppose the word I'm thinking of is just so precise mm. and very methodical and uh-huh. you know pernickety. Pre- yeah, precise. Is, I suppose yeah. the best word for it. So doing mm. doing something as daft as this just is like yeah, what? <laughs> you know. Anyway, we move over to Action Comics issue two hundred and seventy four with a cover date of March nineteen sixty one and on sale in January. 1961 and the story in this one again it's a bit of a head scratcher so basically there's an experiment going on to find an antidote for kryptonite and superman's powers end up being transferred to lois lane now that he no longer has powers superman proposes to lois and she decides to think about it first when she finds out she has powers she decides not to marry superman in case that any enemies that she makes go after him Ah. which is quite a nice and interesting motivation which i'm sure many superheroes have expressed yes over the years Superman then passes out, and it's revealed that this was a robot because the real Superman turns up. Okay. Yeah, and the robot wanted to see if Lois loved Superman only because of his powers. So the real Superman apologises for the robot's misbehaviour and returns it to the fortress, and Lois's powers then wear off, restoring her to normal. I don't get how the robot having powers could be transferred. It's, it's very Silver Age. Yeah, yeah so, I mean, it's it's, it puts me in mind of the, the action comic story we did last week with Hercules and all that, mm-hmm. which left us with many, many questions and stuff. This one this one leaves me suddenly nonplussed. I mean, it's a great cover. You know, it's an idea that Lois has got the powers now, but it's kind of a, the robot passing on the powers. It's inbuilt to the robot's function. How would it be able to transfer? I don't know. So anyway, yes, that was Action Comics 274. So the very next one is another issue of Action Comics, published in April 62, with a cover date of June 62. And it's also worth pointing out, a month later, in issue 98 of Superboy, a Legion of Superheroes member called Ultra Boy makes his first appearance, but we'll mention him in proper context in a little while. So the next Superwoman-related story is in Action Comics issue 289, and it's a story called Superman's Super Courtship. In preparation, I read this, and you know what? I really didn't like <laughs> <laughs> Um, You know what we've said about the way female superhero characters, like Lois Lane and Supergirl and Lana Lyon are sort of portrayed, you know, it's basically... Supergirl decides to try and play matchmaker for Superman. Right. She tries setting him up. There's sort of three parts of the story. She tries setting him up with Helen of Troy. Okay. It doesn't end well. And then there's a story with the adult Legion of Superheroes in the future. Mm-hmm. Supergirl tries setting Superman up with the adult version of, of Saturn Girl, Saturn Woman. And there's a really horrible, inappropriate sort of couple of panels when Supergirl is arranging for Mistletoe to be above Superman oh and dear. Saturn women. Oh so dear. that they end up, I know Peter's got his head in his hands at the moment. That's dreadful. So they end up we'll put it in the socials. Um so they end up kissing a couple of times, much to the grown up lightning lads. Oh, He's not impressed with this adult. So that know. doesn't end well. No. And then in the third segment of it, and this is kind of weird, Supergirl spots on an alien planet a sort of equivalent version of herself as an adult. And she's called Luma Liney. Sounds like a kind of a, a gangster type. Hey, yeah. I'm Lou Maligny. Hey, do you want a coffee? I've got to drink it myself. You know, that sort of thing. You know, it's, it's creepy cousins again because she's basically, there's a whole thing when Superman says if he was to marry someone, he would want them to be someone like Supergirl, but they can't marry because they're cousins. It's oh. horrible. So basically, Clark is set up with Lou Maligny, but the yellow sun rays of our sun are yes. harmful, so they can't be together. Oh, no. And she's, Lou Maligny is basically, you know, Superwoman. Yes, equivalent. and it's it says so much about attitudes and things in the America at the silly. time. It's, it's, yeah. it's really like, Ew. And that brings us up to the most recent one before the, the crime syndicate made their appearance, and that's in issue 47 of Lois Lane, published in December 1963. What a night, with a cover date of February 64. This is called The Super Life Lois Lane. It's a brilliant cover. 
The cover calls her Superwoman. The story is basically a Fortress of Solitude computer simulation. It's another imaginary dream sort of story where Lois's character is called Kryptonite Girl. But the costume she wears on the cover is very similar to Superwoman of the CSA. Yes, yes. Uh, she has a mask, which CSA Superwoman doesn't have, but it's a black sort of leotard effort and, mm-hmm. and boots and stuff. And she's, she's quite a fetching high ponytail. Mm. Big fan of fetching high ponytails. Aye, it's super on the cover, but not really in the story, and it is what it is. It's fine. So there's, as we see, there's been quite a few occasions when other people have been called superwoman for the the point of a story, but no real strong, solid, established no superwoman characters. However, that does change, and we'll talk about some of those characters properly. But Pete's going to give you some details just now. Yeah, uh, one we'll definitely be talking about nearer the time. Well, which doesn't turn up until about nineteen eighty-three. Is the character of Kristen Wells, who is Superwoman. Uh, she originally appeared in a novel, uh, Miracle mm-hmm. Monday, by Elliot S. Magan, the Superman writer. Mm-hmm. But then she was introduced into comics as Superwoman in DC Comics Presents Annual 2. She does also briefly appear in Superman, Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, she's in a panel in that, trying to get into the Fortress of Solitude, which is an incredible, incredible story. But we'll, um, we'll, we'll probably end up doing that, I suppose, we will won't do we? That, yeah, yeah uh-huh. but that, that won't be for a very, very long time. Yes. Certainly it's a character that, you know, has taken on the, the mantle of Superwoman, and there are many, many more, and we're not going to cover them all, so do not panic. Dear listener, we will, or else this will become the Superwoman podcast. Yes. Post-crisis, there have been several characters with the, the name, and uh, even as recently as the events in DC Rebirth, mm-hmm. but it's yep. not one, but two. Uh, Superwoman, one Lois Lane and one Lana Lang. Yeah, I bought a couple of the um, variant covers of that series. They're really nice. Yeah, yeah. it was uh, Phil Jimenez on that. It was really good. I really quite enjoyed the series. Mm-hmm. No one read it, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> it's always the way. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's it. looking at the, the ancestry and the legacy of Superwoman. But let's move on to the ancestry of our next member of the Crime Syndicate of America, and that is Ultraman. Yep, Ultraman, who's basically the Superman equivalent in the CSA. And Pete's going to tell us a bit more about the other Ultraman. Yes. The original Ultraman was a character called Gary Concord. He was a scientist and he first appeared in All-American Comics, uh, issue 8. That's from November 1939. And it's interesting because although he's Ultraman, he's only Ultraman for two issues of his run. Because right. uh, basically uh, his son takes on the role of Ultraman. How, did, how does that dies. come about then? Well, what happens is, he's a contemporary, well, I say contemporary, of the time. He's a scientist. He's born in 1915, found as an orphan on the World War One battlefields, and he decides he's going to fight against war, and becomes an expert in warfare. What's really weird is, this is published, right, just on the cusp of World War Two kicking off. Mm-hmm. He's an adult in 1950, and that's when World War Two breaks out. So you can see it's pretty much invalidated the story straight away. Yeah, so like every idea that they had about him, how he was based, now he worked, was, was overtaken by real-world events, basically. Yeah. That's fascinating. The interesting thing about that is, you know, because obviously at the moment we're in the middle of the COVID-19 yes. pandemic, uh-huh. and it's going to be interesting to see how, going forward at this point, our heroic fiction reflects it. Mm-hmm. You know, will, will it be mentioned at all? It's going to be. It's going to be interesting to see how things pan out. Anyway, well, well we are people that you know enjoy stories about masked people. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, but yes. So what happens is World War Two kicks off, and in 1950, and America is bombed, and he's trapped in his lab at the time. Right. And it sets off some chemicals in his lab, and it creates this suspended animation foam. Uh, that he gets trapped in. Okay. And he wakes up in the far future, in the year 2174. But when he wakes up, he's not himself. His body has been developed. It's like almost like a super soldier serum. Like the way Steve Rogers is sort of affected yeah. by Vita rays and, and all that sort of stuff. So, Pretty so much. he's been frozen for 200 years and then wakes up. It's a touch the Buck Rogers, isn't it? It's there? very Buck Rogers, and the stories are written very much in that kind of action sci-fi strip that was very popular at the time. Mm. You know, Buck Rogers, Flash Gordon, that sort of thing. Mm. But what's interesting is there are many comparisons to Ultraman and Captain America you can make, but Ultraman first appeared, as I said, in 1939, but Captain America didn't appear until the 20th of December 1940. All right, okay. Uh, but remember, Captain America was in suspended animation and reappeared in Avengers 4. Of course. Uh, yeah, right. and they brought yeah. him back then. 
But that wasn't part of the character then, because obviously that was the 60s when they brought him back. Uh-huh. Just a coincidence, really, but I just find it really interesting to compare the two. Yeah. And there's another comparison we'll do when I talk about them later on. Okay. But yes, yeah, so he finds himself in the United States of North America, as it's called. Now, right. And there's the usual tyranny and people trying to attack and take over the you know, the country and stuff. And he basically overthrows that and becomes a hero. And that's fine. This story takes place as part of a flashback over two issues of all American comics because he's not the main Ultraman. Right. He has a son. Okay. Uh, and that's uh, Gary Concord Jr. because he's not very inventive at coming up with uh, names for his children. And it's his son who's the main Ultraman and actually goes through the rest of the, all the adventures. Uh, Gary Concord Sr. dies. Uh, and this is his legacy so, to his son. So it's literally <clears throat> the first legacy character. Wow. So what happens then that Gary Jr. takes over? Is there a big battle and Gary Senior then has to bequeath a legacy. I mean, it seems like it, ha- it seems after, if he's only the hero for like two stories, it seems like he was almost just getting started and then he's cut down in his prime and his son has to take over. You know, so what actually happens? He lived to the age of 100 and then died of natural causes. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Right, so how old was Junior when he took over? That's insane. Uh, I, don't, okay. I don't think it actually gives his uh, date, but no, hang on. Junior is 25. So he when was, he was, so he's obviously seventy five when, when he was sired. Senior was seventy five. Right. Wow. Okay. So Gary Junior succeeds his dad as both Ultraman and also as the high moderator of the United States of North America. Wow. Uh, basically, the protector of the realm, so to speak. Interesting. And yet, there's a warlord called Tor who is attacking. The Gary Concord stories are really weird because it starts off very much a serialized story. Uh huh. Uh, each issue is about six pages. It runs in all American comics from issue eight up to issue nineteen, up to issue thirteen. It's all pretty much one story with like the two issue recap of setting everything up uh-huh. at the beginning with Gary Concord Senior, uh-huh. and the rest of it is all this one big serialized story. It's almost like a Republic serial, yeah. Uh, you know, action adventure thing. I mean, I love it. Those a setup. It's brilliant. It's like you know, contemporary guy mm. gets gassed, falls asleep, wakes up two hundred years in the future. Blah blah blah. Has a son who then. I mean, it's um, it's not typical at all, is it? No, it's it's, it's quite. It's, sof- there, it's yeah. really sophisticated for the mm-hmm. for the time. Mm-hmm. So this warlord called Tor, Tor is trying to get. That's a familiar name, isn't it? It's been used a few times. <laughs> there was a Joe Kubert book published by DC, and so yeah. wasn't it with that mm-hmm. name? So there's another bit of legacy for you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but this warlord Tor is basically looking to get access to some of the weapons that uh, Gary Concord Senior and probably Junior as well, because he developed weapons as well, created. And I think it's mostly. Foam-based weaponry, this seems okay. to be a running theme. Uh, so yes, this story continues all the way through to issue 13, where it's finally resolved. But Gary Concord, typical of heroes at the time, has got a comedy sidekick called Guppy. Right. But Guppy dies in issue 13. All right, so like, Guppy presumably is a tropical fish who gets knocked out of the tank. If only. Uh, no, he's just like a, a hapless um, you know, sidekick. Right. Uh, but he, he gets killed. What happens? In issue 13. Uh, he sacrifices, well, he gets killed trying to save Gary and right. help protect everyone Aww. and stop the warlords. That's a shame. But yeah. Guppy, um, we hardly knew you. No. After that, the stories become one-shots, just one-and-done eight-page stories. Mm-hmm. Which is so weird considering we've had so much build up over one big story. Yeah. And also another interesting part of it is we've got issue 14 that's called Miasma of Death. And in issue 14, there is a great massive one page advert advertising the big six. Right. Now, this is a DC slash All American. There was two companies uh-huh, at the time where they kind of worked together. Yeah. Uh, it was their big advertising campaign for their main books. Mm-hmm. So they had their six main books. Uh, and they had a, a representative character for each of the books. Right. So you had action comics for the big picture of Superman. Mm-hmm. You had adventure comics for the big picture of Sandman. Right. Detective, Batman, obviously. Surely. Flash comics, Flash, obviously. Uh-huh. More fun comics, they had the Spectre. Right. And all American comics. Presumably Green Lantern. Not yet. Oh, He's okay. not appeared yet. Yeah. Ultraman. Right. Ultraman was there on issue 14. Right. There wasn't an advert for it in issue 15. Okay. Issue 16 is the first appearance of Green Lantern. Of course, right. And Ultraman is replaced in the advert. By Green Lantern. By Green Lantern. And that all the other characters stay the same. So obviously they knew Ultraman was in the outs then. Right. Ultraman also makes an appearance in another one-shot story from All-Star so, Comics number one. Yes, He's part that's of the right. I mean, I, I think yeah. that's the only one that I've actually read. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's quite um, a, nice, it's a nice wee story. Because yeah. um, eventually, of course, the, the DC Archive series reprinted the first two non-Justice Society issues yes. of... 
of all stuff. It's really interesting. If you can ever get a chance to read them, you should check them out. Yeah. But so, so when was Gary Concord Ultraman's final appearance then? It was in issue nine. Well, from his original run, it was in issue nineteen of All American of All American comics. Right. Okay. Yeah, and that was August nineteen forty. Now. Something else happened in issue 19. Yep, of course, that's the first appearance of the Atom. It certainly is, the Golden Age Atom, yep. Mm -hmm. At the end of every Gary Concord story, I always said, tune in next issue for continuing the story or whatever. And the end of issue 19, his story, it said, check out next issue for Adventures in the Unknown, which was a strip that had run earlier on in All-American. All-American was mostly a reprint comic, reprinting comic strips Uh at the time. There there were a few, there was Hop Harrigan, there was Red, White and Blue, there was... Obviously, Gary Concord, but in Scribbly, yeah, Scribbly and it ultimately with, uh, became Marvel. all American Men of War once the you know, yep. once the superhero sort of boom faded out. That's right, very interesting. So, yeah, that is so, so it's yeah. kind of a lost character. Aye, it's almost like it's almost like as you say, when they cut him from the all American advert mm-hmm. and superheroes became more and more popular, they, they probably sort of thought, and as you say, real world events, you know, with the Second World War escalating, they probably sort of thought, right, you know. This guy's not going to be yeah. viable, for mm-hmm. want of a better way of putting that, I suppose. Yeah, true. This is kind of sparking something in my memory. You might be able to back me up with this, you might not, because mm-hmm. I may have to do some further digging as it occurs. I have a memory of reading something somewhere, I think talking about a potential planned future storyline for either All-Star Squadron or Young All-Stars when they were going to bring in Gary Concord. Yeah, travelling back in time. Wasn't yeah, it not? finding yeah. that I remember that. Was, I couldn't find yeah. anything about that. Yeah, but I've got a similar memory. Yeah, it was like he was going to come back to what was then World War Two and find mm-hmm. this is wrong. It's taking place. He was going to be you know, man out of time. I don't know if it's something that was affected, perhaps by the way Crisis on Infinite Earths played out. But it's mm-hmm. it's I have it in my head as something that I've read. I'm glad that you have too. I'm glad it's not yeah, just me no, it's, it's things, weird. So it's, yeah, but anyway, yes. He does reappear or get mentioned a couple of times. There's another character called Ultraman who appears in a flashback sequence in a story that we will cover eventually called The Last Earth Prime Story in Superman 411. Ah. But it's not connected at all to the Gary Conklin. Of course. And also Grant Morrison in his Multiversity series had an issue called Ultra Comics that did feature a kind of version of Ultraman. I won't say any more than that. You should read Multiversity because it's very good. But yeah, he does uh, make an appearance there. But obviously his biggest appearance that he's made was was post-Crisis on Infinite Earths and that was in Legionnaire's Annual Number 3. Yeah, of course, because the Legion of Superheroes continuity was rebooted quite heavily after the 1994 miniseries Zero Hour. There was an introduction of a character called XS who was a member of the, the Flash family and at this point in the storyline, XS was one of my favourite characters. I loved her dearly. She was brilliant. Jenny, she was great. She's she's bouncing around in time at this point. Yes. I think it was summer of 1996. The branding, for the, the common link between all, all of that year's DC annuals was Legends of the Dead Earth. In many ways, it was sort of Elseworlds by another name, but mm-hmm. it projected future extrapolations for yeah. a lot of the characters. And the interesting but, thing about the Legionnaires annual was one. it was probably the only one that actually tied into the the main continuity yep, for that series. Right. So yeah. it's not an Elseworlds story. No. Uh, but because of the time trapper involved and everything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, it's very good. But Jenny finds herself in the 100th century mm-hmm. and she comes across a group of freedom fighters there. And these are quite familiar characters. Mm. There's one called Avatar who gains god-like powers when they clutch a weapon. There's one called Metallica who wears a suit of armour. Right. And there's one called Behemoth who's like an ordinary person who turns into a big hulking beast. Yes. Do these characters sound familiar to anyone at all? Yes. They're protecting a character who's in suspended animation. Right. And that character is Gary Concord Ultraman. I was about to say, I can see where you're going with this. Yeah. (laughs) Basically, they're all Avengers Mm analogues. Young well, the early Avengers analogues mm-hmm. of Thor, Iron Man, Hulk and Captain America. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, Jenny helps them and they free Ultraman and they, they fight injustice in the 100th century. Yeah, he has, he has a very sort of exaggerated, quite amusing sort of speech pattern, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Yeah, it's, he quite, does. it's quite interesting. But it's, uh, it's great stuff and it does actually cement him as part of, somehow, uh, continuity. Continuity. At yeah. least at that time. The weird thing is, see when you look at all the... When I look back and counted up all the page count for all the original Ultraman stories, it's 93 pages, 
for absolutely everything. Wow. Gary Concord, like, you know, the Golden Age stuff. Yeah. I'd make a lovely wee, like, 100-page special. Yeah, it? that'd be great. It'd be so good. I mean, just to see that. I'd, I mean, I'd, there's so many Golden Age stories and characters. You know, we've, we've already talked about Johnny Quick today. You know, mm-hmm. for the, the length of time he was published, the number of his stories that are available to read is minuscule. Yeah. It would be, I mean, I'd, I'd love a proper, you know, Johnny Quick on the bus or something. Yeah. And it, mm-hmm. it would be nice to, to be able to read all these Gary Concord stories. Yep. There's a couple of honorary Ultraman mentions I want to make, mm-hmm. and uh, first one is in Adventure Comics 354, there is a story called The Adult Legion, which features, funnily enough, grown-up members of the Legion further yeah, in the course. future. Yeah, because we, we mentioned them briefly with that torturous, awful Supergirl story. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, one of them, of course, is the grown-up version of Ultra Boy, who calls himself Ultraman. Yep, Joe. It's worth pointing out there's a charming moment in the, we probably will never cover it in the podcast, the series Final Crisis Legion of Three Worlds when three different versions of the Legion all come together and three versions of Phantom Girl are delighted at the fact that adult Ultra Boy, in this instance, still calls himself Ultra Boy. Yes, he does. It's beautiful, it's lovely. They're all sort of <laughs> cooing and, oh, Joe, it's so cute, it's lovely. If you're a big, if you're a big fan of Joe and Tina like I am, it's, it's terrific. <laughs> And of course, there's the Japanese TV character, uh, I think it started in the 60s, called Ultraman, mm-hmm. who has a massive history and following in fan base, but we're not going to go into that in any detail. Yep. I'm sure there's probably a podcast for all about him somewhere. I'm sure maybe. there is. <laughs> and speaking of television, in the Lois and Clark series, in season three of that, Lois got powers and became Ultra Woman. That's right. That's a brilliant story. I, yeah. lo- I remember the bit when um when Dean Kane Superman introduces her and he it's always he sees a sign, an advertising sign for some I think it's washing powder or something. <laughs> and he and he goes, Ultra Woman and a very as if he's just made it up on the spot. Yeah, that's great. There we are. Yeah. So yeah. And there's also other characters, many characters with the ultra name including ultra mm-hmm. with two a's at the end who we'll get to eventually as well we'll definitely be covering ultra's adventures on yes. the show and there's also ultra the multi-alien yes a D- another dc character of mm-hmm. short-lived some, from the yeah, uh, mystery in space some repute who um might pop up actually i've got a feeling he might pop up at some point maybe you never know i think he might be in crisis but he might not be. oh yeah that's right yeah. uh yes and of course there's ultra humanites who we definitely will be covering, because he is an Earth 2 character, so when he appears, we'll be talking about him. Mm -hmm. But yeah, as I said, that's all ultra great stuff. That only leaves Power Ring. Power Ring, we've saved the best for last, folks. Yeah, so Power Ring is obviously the the Green Lantern equivalent in the Crime Syndicate of America. He's based very visibly on Hal Jordan. Yes, definitely. It's probably the closest sort of analogue. And obviously we've talked about how there was another Johnny Quick. We've talked about how there was another Owl Man. There were many superwomen. Mm-hmm. All about Ultraman. Yes. They've been all around the house as an Ultraman. But Power Ring. Yes, the Power Ring's predecessor was no one. Nope. We can't find a mention of another Power Ring at any point ever. Nope. It's, so, it's obvious that they just sort of went, do we just call him Green Lantern? Or what are we going to call him? How did, oh, Green Lantern, oh, he's got a Power Ring. Oh, that'll do. And it so, works. It works. It works. It's very literal, but it's it's great. He's probably actually out of them all, all the members of the Crime Syndicate. He's probably my favourite in terms of styling and appearance because he mm. it's Hal one step removed. Yeah, you can almost imagine that being the regular Green Lantern costume. So this has been a look, if you like, at the inverse legacy of the Crime Syndicate of America or ancestry. Yeah, if yeah, you like, yeah. it works just as well. Just as well. It does. Or in just as well. <sighs> Get out, it's awful, awful. It's <laughs> leave. Been a, it's been a very long record, folks, as you can possibly imagine. Yes. Uh, but we'd love to hear what you thought about all these characters and all the sticking we've been doing. Have you enjoyed it? Please get in touch with us. Uh, you can email us at theearth2podcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash theearth2podcast. And on Instagram also at theearth2podcast. And on Twitter, we're at podcast underscore earth2. Join us next time when we start the second Justice League, Justice Society crossover and introduce you properly to the Crime Syndicate of America. Yes. So I've been David. And I've been Peter. And we will see you next time on The The Earth Earth 2 Podcast. Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime.